This is Bernard Hiller, and welcome to the Actor's Guide to Success podcast. I'm an acting coach, I have a school here in Hollywood, and I hold acting masterclasses in over 20 countries around the world. I'm also a producer, screenwriter, and author of the acting and success book, Stop Acting, Start Living. We are storytellers, we are people who can actually make a massive difference to other people's lives. You have to be studying as an actor like you were studying to be an Olympic swimmer. I've been teaching actors all over the world for the past 20 years, and I've discovered that there are millions of artists who study their craft but never learn how to succeed in their profession. Don't wait around. Like, make it, you know, I, I just always encourage people to take control. Any chance you can to keep acting, whatever you do, it's going to help. You're going to improve. My mission with this podcast is to inspire you and give you the tools you will need to live the life you always wanted. On this show, we will meet incredible personalities from show business and Academy Award-winning guests who will share their secrets so you can use them on your journey. Welcome to the second episode of the Actress Guide to Success podcast. I'm your host, Bernard Hiller. If you're someone who's starting in this industry or someone's been working for a long time and you want to get to your next level, then this podcast is for you. In the upcoming episodes, we're going to have incredible experts from the entertainment industry, such as producers, directors, writers, agents, managers, and casting directors that will share their knowledge so you can use it on your journey to your success. As I've mentioned in our first episode, we have two different types of interviews, in-studio and interviews pre-recorded at my masterclasses. Now, before I introduce you to our next very special guest, please subscribe to our podcast and share the information. Also, if you'd like to leave us your comments or would like to write us directly, you can do so at podcast at bernardhiller.com. And also visit our website bernardhiller.com and learn about all our classes and especially about our upcoming master classes which are held around the world and I look forward to meeting you. Now, our next LA master class will be held February 11th to the 16th right after the Academy Awards and we're going to have guests straight from the red carpet. So, without further ado, let me introduce to you to our very special guest, Demeter Marinov. Now, you may not recognize his name, but you will definitely recognize his face from the Oscar-winning picture of the year, Green Book. He hails from Bulgaria, and his story I consider to be completely inspiring, especially for anyone who's ever come here from a foreign country. Listen to Dimitri's story. You will never forget it. Dimitri Marinov! <laughs> All right. So tell us, uh, how did you, how did you get here? I mean, what what is your you're a professional musician? Is that correct? Classically trained Classical, violinist. Yes. And that's what you do, for a living? No. No. Okay. But what no. do you, what have you been doing? Tell us a little bit about your. Uh, I started. Okay. First of all, I'm from Bulgaria, as you all know. It's a small little country in the Balkans, famous with three stinky things. Feta cheese, I'm sorry, Greeks, it comes from Bulgaria. <laughs> and um, the roses is the biggest valley of roses in the world. And me. <laughs> well, we have you. Um, 
Yeah. I was an orphan. Um, the sperm donor was Jewish, which is kind of odd for Bulgaria to have Orthodox Jew to mess around with the Christian Orthodox woman. <coughs> but during the communism, nobody gives an ass. So they fall in love. Uh, they did it for the first time for both. And here I am. <laughs> and I was adopted. At age of four, I was adopted of elder widow. At age of four, I started playing violin. By age of 11, I was first chair in the symphony orchestra, uh, one of those Soviet prodigy. And by age of 15, I performed in New York, the Circle Hall, conducted by Leonard Bernstein. Wow. And uh, I play for the Queen of England twice. I play for John Paul II, the Pope, bless his soul, twice. I play with Herbert von Karajan a few times, with Pavarotti a few times. I've been all over the world. I've been three times to North Korea. I've uh, been twice to Cuba. And actually, I have two pictures with Fidel. One of them is my favorite, which my mom keeps in her bedroom. When I'm the first chair violinist, I was only 14, and the first cello girl. So he gives her this big hug. And you can see her, you can see him, but you don't see me. <laughs> because the smoke of his cigar is right in front of my face. <laughs> it's one of my <laughs> And then uh, by age of 16, I was invited to a local theater to play violin. For, I'm part of this play, and I'm the son of this family. And I have two scenes, one line, but playing two tunes. And this was the time when I walked on that stage I've been in many stages as a classical musician, but theater stage, as you know, is different. So I walked in and something happened at that very moment. It's just something happened inside. I even forgot my line. I didn't want to get out. I didn't want to leave. I start playing with some kind of toy, and then I hear from the sides, you know, <laughs> I love it here. <laughs> so, and that's where my heart flipped. And make the long story short, I start spending my lunch money for acting classes. My mother had no clue. Then I start opera singing classes. My mother had no clue. Ballroom dancing, which I think it's very important for an actor. My mother had no clue. And after two years, I was accepted first in the Master Academy of Bulgaria for Theater and Film. My mother knew that I'm accepted at the conservatory. <laughs> and she passed away, never knowing that I was an actor. And um, every time she see me on TV or somewhere, she thinks it's some kind of hobby of mine. And most of the time, I try to come out the first thing on TV with the violin, so she thinks, <laughs> 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 even though I don't play it. But it was this time of my life. And then 18 years old, before I started the academy, a uh, communist country, mandatory, we have to go in the army. I was in the Red Army, and uh, by age of 19, I was uh, accused of propaganda of all my fellow soldiers about the West. I've been to America, I've been to all over the world, and I was arrested by the KGB. 40 days, still marks on my back, and after that, the tribunal, Two years, six months, and ten days political prison. And the cream of my career, I mean my youth,
I came out. Um, all my rights were demolished by the communist government, and I, nobody will give me a job because I am now the enemy of the state. We're talking 1986. <clears throat> and then the only place I found work so I can provide for my mom and I, because she was at the time almost 70-some years old, a theater hired me as a night cleaning guy. <laughs> After the show is over, I clean the stage, I clean the bathrooms, I clean the... So work four hours after show. So I did this for about a year. Then I apply, tried to apply for the academy, they refused. Then I went to a local theater in a small town where I was there for three years. And then finally I got the chance to be accepted when the things start moving and the communists, the wall came down in 88. So they give me the chance, I got in and I was the first one to graduate the master class academy of five years in one year and three months. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I just had no time to stay in school. I wanted to move. And then that was the time when I started performing in Germany. Actually, I'm proud to say that I MC the famous Kit Kat Club in Berlin for eight months. I personally met Joel Gray there. Um, he came to visit once. Uh, it was extraordinary, and I performed there as the MC. Um, and that's where I became friends with the old school of Marlena Dietrich and all those great guys. I did a lot of cabaret in Berlin for quite a time. And then I got cast for a show. And some of you may have heard of the Bulgarian Mystery Voices. I was the bass in that show, singing. And it was a tour to the United States and Canada and I literally said, this is it. I'm not going back to Bulgaria. So we went to London first, and we did some recordings with Kate Bush and Enigma. And then we flew to Canada. We did some shows in Canada at the Edmonton French Festival, where I had the honors to meet Bette Midler and Eric Bogosian. She was doing one of his shows. And then we performed the last show was in Knoxville, Tennessee. At this point, I just decided this is it. And the whole cast went into the airport and we were flying directly from Knoxville, DC. DC, we would not get off the plane, they're straight to London. So that was my only chance. And I ran from the airport. Violin, backpack, $112 in my pocket, no English at all. No friends, no relatives, nobody. And I was in the streets of Knoxville. And as you know, some of you, good old continent of Europe, where the fountain is, that's the downtown area, right? <laughs> Not in Knoxville. <laughs> so I was in this fountain for three days playing. Nobody gives me money. There's pretty much nobody around. And I slept in a broken building for three days. And then Channel 10 came to do, <coughs> wanted to do an interview with me. I happened to be the first life instrument in the streets of Knoxville. I couldn't speak, so I was afraid even to stop playing. I keep playing, this big guy's like, stop, stop. So he stopped, he started naming countries. He said, German, I speak German. So I said, all right. They brought 20 minutes later, elder lady. She translate, they just wanted to make the news, five minutes, that's it. And a family saw me on TV and sent their son the following day, 19 year old kid, with his friend from University of Tennessee, they spoke German and they want to help me. And basically he says, my mom and dad, we're Christians 
And we had a big loss in the family a few years back, and we think we want to help you and anything you need. The first thing in my head was like, KGB got me. This is it. <laughs> they got me. But I had nothing to lose and have adventurous soul. And I said, eh, who cares? Okay, I'll do it. So I went to a restaurant. They invite me for lunch. Uh, and they just said, we want you to come to our house. Stay with us. We'll hire interpreter and a lawyer and see what we can do. And little you know, the next day I went to the house, the next day came a lawyer and interpreter. And the lawyer said, but you have one year working permit visa for the United States. I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> and he said, okay, we put the paper together. Two weeks later, we went to the congressman's office at the time, because I was political refugee, it's kind of different. And she said, are you crazy? I said, why? You have one year working visa for the United States. Why you want to apply now? If you apply now, we cancel that visa. And you have to wait. And in 30 days, if we say no, you have to go. So stay for a year and then apply. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her and through the interpreter, I said, uh, if I come to your house and I want to stay in your bed, would you let me? And she said, what do you mean? I said, I came here to ask you, would you let me stay in the United States? And if you do let me stay, I will stay. If you don't let me stay, I'll go home and start my life in a different way. So why I have to waste a year of my life to wait? And she just looked at me and said, your choice. So two months later, I was in front of a judge where I have to say, who I am, what I am, they're recording it, everything is political refugee, is a little different than uh, regular immigration status. So the third question was, where, when were you born? Mike and Peggy Shirley is the family, sitting on my right with the interpreter, and this side is the lawyer with the presenter of the state. And I said, I'm born October 6, 1964. And Peggy faints, literally faints. Panic, they low blood pressure, I don't know, we, we have no clue what's going on. Mike Shirley's all white, dripping sweat. Five minutes commotion, she comes back, there, I mean, some lady came in, give her some water, whatever. Long story short, seven years ago, exactly seven years ago, they lost their older son in a motorcycle accident, born October 6, 1964. To be precise, 9,000 kilometers away, here I am. And this is not it. Once we got to their house, I mean, everything went very dramatic. We got to their house, they opened his room upstairs. They were pretty well put together people, actually. Said, this room hasn't been open for seven years, so please, it's yours now. And being Bulgarian superstitious, like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'm not going in. They said, at least take a look, see how he lived, where he'd been. They're all crying, so I walked in, and the first thing I see on the wall, many of you probably know, especially now with the Bohemian Rhapsody, the movie, the huge poster of Freddie Mercury, his concert in Budapest, where he's half, and with the British flag. I was at that concert. Not only. This is the poster I have in my room in Bulgaria. Wow. 
I took a picture, I sent it to my mom, and I said, take a picture and send it over, because nobody believed me. And it took about two months, and we got the picture. So, long story short, three years I, I was there, I work as an airbrush artist, uh, washing dishes, anything you can imagine, and studying English, and in 93, I load my Volkswagen bug, and I said, I'm gonna follow my future in what I want to do, acting, so the only place is California. So I came to San Diego, and for seven years, I owned a coffee shop, a pizza, a catering business, and then and going at night to study English. And in 1999, I auditioned for San Diego Repertory Theater, and from this moment on, I had quite a bit of awards on stage. I did from La Jolla Playhouse, the Old Globe, all the way to San Francisco Academy. A lot of theater, I'm a thespian by heart. And in 2007, I went down to Costa Rica to visit a friend. My son was only one years old. When I visited for three days, and the second day I got so drunk, my wife calls me and says, we have no money in a bank account, what happened? Uh, being drunk, I bought a restaurant. <laughs> And I said, we're in, moving to Costa Rica. Costa Rica. <laughs> and my wife... That's pretty drunk. <laughs> I went quarter to seven at the bank and I signed the check right there. I have no memories. Um, my, wife, my wife is a small town girl from Michigan. She has no clue. Uh, and she said, what do you mean? I said, pack, we're moving. <laughs> Money is here, I can't go back. So I returned, and in two weeks, we were in Costa Rica for three years. Even today, if you go to Liberia, on the west coast by Tamarindo, it's one place only built as a castle. And it, even today, the line is there, Dimitri's Castle. So I was there for three years, and then the son had to go to school, and they're all Catholic schools, so I didn't want to convert. So we came back, that was 2009. I started Hollywood, and it was through a friend who pushed me so hard, he said, you have to? I said, I'm 45 years old, what are you talking about? He said, doesn't matter, just give it a shot. My very first audition was two days after I signed with my agents, and was Act of Valor, which I booked. Act of Valor. The movie, and then second audition was literally day after, Nikon commercial with Ashton Kutcher, which I booked, and for almost six months, of all the auditions, I have only one that I did not book. And my agents were shocked, said, what are you doing? I said, I'm doing what they not want me to do. <laughs> but anyway, so it, it started rolling. I was in a big commercial a campaign of Discover Credit Card, if you remember a few years back. Peggy, hello, thank you for calling USA Prime Credit. You know, I was that crazy guy there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did a lot of commercials, a lot of film, not a lot of film, but a lot of television, and Green Book was literally, um, my manager called me, said this is the, what they want, they wouldn't say who is the director, what is about, they just, based on a true story, they give me the character name, I knew that name from back then, I knew who Yuri Takt was, I knew who Don Shirley was, being a musician myself, and then, <clears throat> I went to the audition, I had my choice, and Montgomery, the casting director, who actually won for Best Casting Director this year, 
Rick, he said, great, very good choice, nice. Well, let's do it different. Let's make it more friendly, more spontaneous, more emotional, more youthful. You're too stuck up kind of guy. Okay, so I changed it, said great job. Then three days later, we got a feedback. Great performance, great choice. Unfortunately, too mature for the role. Month and a half later, my manager calls me again. And he says, remember that green book? They, they want you back. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, obviously they went back to the drawing table. They're changing their mind. They want to see you again. I said, great. He said, but this time all the big wigs will be there. Peter, everybody. And <clears throat> the only difference is it's the same. Acting is the same. Those two scenes, I can send it back to you. I said, I remember them. He said, but they want to hear you playing the cello. I said, I don't play cello, I play violin. And he said, what do you mean? You don't know anything about cello? Violin, cello, same thing, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, does the cello players I play with count? And he said, Demir, that's not funny. I said, I don't play cello. It's a completely different instrument. I can fake it. I've been in the symphony long enough. My girlfriend was a cello player. But I, I can fake it. He said, yeah, 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 they want you just a little bit. <laughs> and I said, well, how much time I have? He said, you have five days. So being a classical musician for me and an actor of the way I was brought up as an actor and trained, this is where we make the big choice. I mean, we can go easy way, and I'm pretty sure it's a photo drop. I mean, Mahershala got a photo drop, right? So it will be a photo drop. But you have a chance, five days. That's like nothing, but why not? I hired a cello teacher that same day. I rented a cello. By the day three, after seven, eight hours a day playing, uh, my wife almost divorced me. <laughs> then the last two days she left with the kids to her aunt's house. Because obviously- Costa Rica. No. <laughs> No, seriously, and I, um, finally, I told my cello player I want to play the solo 18 bars of the cello of this, the theme song of the movie, Waterboy. And she said, Demir, this, you know this is not possible. I said, I know, but I want to try it. So I sat down, my phone, I recorded her playing it. I recorded her hands, everything, then I went home, and it was all night long. And then the next day I went to the audition, and I said, they say, okay, Demeter, just sit down, hold the cello, see how it looks, and just whatever, like little bum bum. I say, okay, I'm gonna play you the solo. And they say, yeah, right. <laughs> Chris Bowers is all cracking up, and it's like, okay. So I played it. And then Peter, like, wait, you're a violinist, right? I said, yeah. I didn't know you played cello. I said, I didn't know either. <laughs> Five days, I said, yeah, I mean, if you give me a little more time, I'll get better. I can learn all the songs. There are like six songs in the movie, and that's exactly what happened. But the main reason I was told after, oh no, you will like that. So, as an actor, and I overheard a little bit when you were talking a little your exercises here, I was in the back over there spying on you. Um, as an actor, you, you sometimes you feel so kind of like you have no confidence, especially when you're in front of such a big people. I mean, there is Peter Farrell in front of you. And you get all this, you know, in, this intense of 
I don't know, the, the, all the doubts in your head, and your head is your biggest mess, okay? I have a saying that I take small, I make small decisions with my head and big decisions with my heart. And this is a big decision. So, but still, being an actor and all the vanity of ours, I decided to follow what casting had told me as a feedback. So I did the first scene, youthful, emotional, all that stuff, which Peter stood up, came that close to me and almost whispered, said, you talk about 10 minutes about this character and you knew this character better than we do. Why did you do it this way? Why was this your choice? And I looked to Rick Montgomery and said, well, my first audition, <laughs> the feedback from Rick Montgomery was to be da 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 And he goes, huh. <laughs> and then I said, but my, my initial choice was different. He said, oh, okay, let me see your first choice. So I did it the way I thought. And he literally jumped out of his chair. And he grabbed my face. You know, Peter, how friendly he is. So <laughs> you'll see him. He's an extraordinary guy. This is a very special and man that's coming. He really. said this one special line. He said, Demeter, do not take feedback from anyone until you book the role. After, the only one can give you feedback is the director. And still, there is a room for argument. I don't need scene two. Go. That was it. Wow. Where did you get this feeling? Where did this come from? This unstoppable feeling that you're going to pursue whatever you want, no matter what. Where did that come from? Uh, I think it's, it's been my life during communism when everything is prohibited. You're pretty much everything you want to do, everything you think to do. It's like first, first thing you hear is no. <laughs> you know, and inside it keeps building how can I, it's kind of survival. So I had an extremely strong, powerful feeling of survival. And the most important thing is what I got through my experience, even in Germany with the cabaret and throughout the world, to trust not what I see, not what I feel, but what my gut is telling me. Kind of that instinct, like the animal instinct. Even sometimes goes against you, I know so much, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. Exactly when it doesn't make sense, it makes a difference. And I think my true belief that I, I keep telling everybody, it's just you have your goal somewhere deep and all the ways you're gonna go, you can go even far around. I mean, guys, I've, it's been nine years before I even went back to acting. But I went all different routes and still this deep belief inside, I am going to do it, period. There was no doubt in my head. And even Peter said it during shooting. He said, Demeter, how are you always so focused? Can you just laugh a little? I said, I will laugh after we walk out of the set. We'll go get drunk and go crazy. But here I am to do a work. And this is my Cinderella moment. I'm not gonna back off. But it's ex exactly this, if you don't believe yourself and understand that you have, okay, this is one thing that I always say, I, sometimes teachers tell me I'm wrong, but 
I don't believe I have competition because I'm myself. I mean, there are a lot of types like me and actually all the Russians hate me because I take all the Russian roles and I'm not even a Russian. <laughs> and I tell them, no, the reason is because I speak Russian better than you and I'm uglier than you. <laughs> so it's the whole idea of you need to trust yourself of who you are. And I think the best thing of class is to learn who you are and find your own self. Once you find your own self, you will realize there's no competition. You're just different types. I mean, I see women hissing snakes at the auditions, like. <laughs> <laughs> no, why? You look alike, but that's it. Oh. Once you walk in, it's you. The and idea is that uh, there's a saying which is, be yourself, everyone else is taken. So the point Amen. is, the, the thing is that, uh, of course, uh, there is no competition because you're just presenting yourself. Yeah. And if they want that, you're it. And if they don't want that, you're not it. But the idea is that you have to be, you have to be so willing to show us who you really are. That's this is the key. The fear. Yeah. You need to overcome the fear. Yeah. And do it anyway. I will give you a great example, if you permit me. Go ahead. My very first audition, the Ashton Kutcher I told you, it was the very first audition in America. I have never taken classes here. I just signed with an agent. I walk in, we're three people. We're in the gallery. Remember the gallery, cool picks his stuff. So we're in the gallery. I'm this snobby European, and there's two, uh, a lady and a gentleman, they're a couple, and we're looking at a beautiful picture on the wall. And we're judging the picture silently. And then somebody yells, Ashton Kutcher is in the house. Ashton. And so we have to get starstruck and go, oh my God, where is he? Where is he? And so here I am following what, because the method that I grew up with of Eastern European theater is like, listen to what they ask. Don't think, listen. Snobby European looking at art. Any European knows who Ashton Kutcher is? No. Snobby. So I'm there and I'm looking at the picture. And they go, action. Ashton Kutcher is in the house. Those two go nuts. I just turn around. Like, Who the fuck is Ashton Kutcher? <laughs> and I continue and I look back at the picture. The guy screamed, stop. So I said, okay, guys, let's go. Okay, go. And I'm going. He said, no, you stay. Then he gave me all this spiel, I cannot use foul language, I have to do what they ask me to do, this is my first time, he realizes, blah, 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 blah. I said, sir, I'm sorry, but I don't really know what, who Ashton Kutcher is. He said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know who Ashton Kutcher is. <laughs> he said, do you know who Demi Moore is? I said, oh, oh yeah. I know that. <laughs> he said, well, her husband. I said, oh, the guy that makes commercials for underwear. He said, uh, not exactly. <laughs> He's a big star. I said, well, good then, so what? So he asked me to do it again, now that I know who Ashton Kutcher is, to do it again without the fuck part. And then on uh, the callback was Bennett, the director who won for Capote. He directed Capote. And uh, he looks at me and the first thing he said, I wanted to see face to face the one who insulted my star. <laughs> 
And I said, I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. I didn't know who Ashton Kutcher is. And boom, the door opens and Ashton walks in. He's like, here I am. <laughs> it was amazing. It was amazing. And not only, they changed the entire script. Now I became the owner of the gallery. And if you look back in the YouTubes, maybe somewhere you'll find it. I'm with this crowd of people, I'm throwing champagne, and he comes, he grabs me from the back, I throw a glass at him, and it became a whole different script from this moment on. But that's the whole point. You do, of course, don't go there and say fuck to everybody. <laughs> but you don't have to be cocky, just have to be who you are. And then it works for me. You know what works? This man. Let's hear it for the meter! <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Actor's Guide to Success podcast. Now, isn't Dimitri's story truly amazing? Now, before you go, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us your comments. We read every one of them. Also, go to our website where we're offering a free audition guide that will definitely help you succeed at your audition. So go to bernardhiller.com slash acting. If you have any other questions, you can reach us directly at podcast at bernardhiller.com. And remember, the bigger the dream, the better the life. See you next time.